Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Oh, all right, that's really maybe. <laughs> all right. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. The Suns are on the board and the Ds are unstoppable. And while COVID continues to run down players as hard as Charlie Rowbottom, so far Omicron has just a few less possessions than Karen Harrington. My name is Emma Race and I am delighted to have my football-loving feminist folk with me to yak it up coast to coast. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, it's Lucy Race here. Hi, it's Julia Kiera. Tess Armstrong here. It's so Why nice to laughing? see you. Oh, we are laughing because we're seven years before, old. Moments before we started recording, these lovely people caught me up on the news. And this is probably not a great public health message, but apparently, Lucy can explain. It. Always having to be the sensible one. Yes, I did just advise my dear pod fellows that Victoria is now in a code brown (laughs) and that has ended everybody and it begs the question why did they keep brown on the color palette (laughs) of the of the codes is there no one as immature as us in there to let them know that we cannot withstand a code brown I am so immature. I am very happy to put my hand up to the government, any kind of official body. If you're having a meeting about what to call things, give me a buzz. If I giggle, (laughs) it's probably not going to fly. It's probably not going to be taken as seriously as it needs to be because it's quite a serious thing. But I will also argue that Victoria has been a bit of a code brown for three years now running. So it's um, (laughs) probably going to need something new. Oh, it's just ended me. It's the laugh that I really needed. Now, speaking of code browns, I'm going to do a really sharp left turn. Julia, you've got a new baby. (laughs) And congratulations on baby Bonnie. The question that every Sanctum is no doubt asking is, do you nickname her too good? (laughs) Uh, No, but I have to say that Bonnie too good was not necessarily a factor in the naming, like she's not named after Bonnie Too Good. But because my partner's a teacher and I've been a teacher and have worked in footy clubs where you meet a lot of people, 
a lot of names do get struck off the list because you meet a particularly terrible Leslie and you're like, nah, no way. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Leslie. Um, Bonnie too good. I'm like, that's solid. Can definitely have that association. But just continuing to name our kids after dogs. It does. <laughs> it does remind me, and I regaled Lucy with this story the other day and it almost ended her Code Brown style, that I once got a text <laughs> message from a guy that I went to uni with who I'm not in contact with and I forgot I had his number in my phone. And he said, we've had a baby girl, we've named her Emma after you. And I read it and thought, wow, this is outrageous and how delightful. And as I was staring at it thinking, this doesn't add up, I got another text message that said, sorry, that wasn't intended for you. It was for another Emma. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, fair play. Let's roll into some actual footy chat. Congratulations on baby Bonnie. We absolutely adore seeing pictures of her and arrived during AFLW season. So she's a gift from the footy gods and <laughs> congratulations to you and your family, Julia. Last week we did the pits and the peaks to kick off the podcast and I'm going to be really bold here and take some feedback. On the fifth quarter this week, Shiloh Curtis just dropped some truth bombs with our very own Dr. Kate Sear and Darcy Vesio retweeted, Ari, the standards have gone up conversation that it feels like a big backhander. And now I'm not going to say that we can't discuss the game with critical analysis, but given what we're asking of the players at the moment, I wanted to be more mindful of this. So I'm going to scrap the pits and we're just going to do the peak of the week. And there are so many peaks. I'm going to come to you first, Lucy Race. What was yours? Look, I can't go past Alyssa Shine Bright Like a Diamond Bannon, (laughs) who kicked A goal of the year contender on Friday night. I really loved this game. It was super fun to watch. She received a handball from Lily Mithen and then she was chased down the wing by Kate Dempsey. She had two bounces, ignored her captain in the square, which we couldn't see, unfortunately, on the footage. But um, luckily, the commentators told us that. And she kicked what was, I thought, just a beautiful goal. She is nominated as one of the rising stars of the round. And I did love a little diamond celebration. I don't know that we've got to the bottom of what that was all about, but go Alyssa. She was absolutely amazing. It was also a pretty spectacular goal from Monconti in the fourth quarter for the Richmond game. I thought that was a pretty amazing contender as well. Julia, what was your peak? Well, I loved the Suns comeback. We had two non-Victorian teams playing at Witten Oval between West Coast and the Suns. We were not talking about the pits, but I think that, you know, coming into this season, the Suns perhaps were predicted to not do pretty well. They they didn't win a game last year. And to see them come to Victoria, be 16 points down with about 10 minutes to go and then kick five unanswered goals to win that game, three to Bahana, Bahana. Bahana banana nana. Two to Kate Sermon. Such an exciting style of football. It, it was like they flicked a switch in that last 10 minutes and you could see the the style of football that they're capable of. And that was so fun to watch. And just to see a team that I think perhaps we thought were really going to, for them, scoring as a bit of a grind to instead score in this really quick, dynamic way was, was so fun. And I think bodes really well for their season ahead. And a really healthy scoreline for that game at the end of the round. And I think that the thing that I loved out of that match so much was, hello, Patrick, speaking on the podcast. Uh, The thing that I loved so much in that game was how much they were hitting up Sarah Perkins still. You know, she's 
got a role to play. She's playing it well and she's tapping it down in, in the goal square and making opportunities for other players. I just love that her career just keeps on going, Lucy. Oh, and you could just see her leadership as well. I think there was times when um, she didn't necessarily have her ball, the ball in hand, but her influence was seen across the game. I'd love to ask you a footy question just off the back of that game and that peak, Julia. I remember a number of years ago on This AFL Life, you said something about the most important skill, in your opinion, was the ability to pick the ball up cleanly off the ground. So those clean possessions. And it's something that has always stayed with me. And I was really thinking about that while I watched this game. Those first three quarters were a bit scrappy, but something did switch in the fourth quarter. And then also, you know, going into the Adelaide North game that followed it, it was so clear that there's just such an advantage when a team has those clean possessions. And what I wanted to ask you is, do you think that that is probably the most important skill for teams going forward? Is that the thing that makes a difference? Well, I don't want to disagree with my historical self because she sounds pretty wise. Um <laughs> <laughs> but you can you can just see it. You can see that as the pace of the game picks up, that those that can play at that pace are the ones that succeed. They get the handball off quickly. They get the kicks off quickly. They pick the ball up. There's no fumbling. They are what make things happen. It's so obvious to me. And and when you watch, say, new drafted players like Brasparkas, Robot, and have an impact straight away, it's because they're one touches, they're, they're clean pickups, they're marks that they clunk, they don't take three bites of the cherry. That's how they get to participate as on the level straight away. Whereas um, when you watch, say, other younger players who are playing their first, second, third game, you know, struggle a bit more, it's because they're paddling the ball to themselves. They're going in half heart, not half hearted, but they're not going in with their body behind the ball to pick it up. And so they, they really struggle to, to get into the groove of the game as well. And because of that, then they get pinged more. So then their confidence goes down and then it's just a bit of a rolling domino. So that's up there. But the other thing that I'm sure I talked about on this AFL Life is the ability to take contested marks. And watching the Carlton Geelong game, the Geelong team just took so many marks. That same team last year, a lot of the same players just did not have that confidence to do it. And so watching them, you know, I think that they, they were in that game and could have could have probably won it because they were able to control it so much more, find their targets down the line, get everyone a chance to set up for the next possession. I think contested marks is the, is the next one along and, and really good teams do a lot of those. Very salient points there from Julia, both historical and current day. <laughs> <laughs> Tess, what were your highlights? What was your peak? Both Freo, just absolutely clinical on the weekend. I love that team. And I'll talk about Anne McMahon a bit later, but a couple of the new ones that are really filling the spots where Sabrina Duffy and the like weren't there. And they seem to have depth, which is quite remarkable. Patty agree. <laughs> and I also wanted to talk about the Crows. So Ash Woodland, it's eight goals, I think, in the first two weeks. And they just look so fit, so ready, so pumped. I feel terrible for West Coast because they've come pretty close this weekend and then next weekend, as the fixture stands, they have to come up against the Crows. And so that must be intimidating. It's like, you know, going out on a date with someone who's extremely good looking and you don't feel your best. I feel like, you know, they may be feeling slightly under the pump ahead of next week. But, yeah, those two teams are just remarkable. And, and it goes to show, I suppose, we're going to talk about this a bit later, but how important depth is going to be this season. If you've got players in and out, I think Freo, it's quite interesting because there's not a lot of COVID in WA, but now they're playing in the, in the the states with the rest of us they're in code brown with the rest of us <laughs> <They're> in- <laughs> 
that were code purple and now they're code brown and that is a swift change. And so I wonder how that is going to look for them and the other teams that have to come over to the East Coast in the next couple of months. Yeah, Adelaide speed was certainly something that, you know, I think when you're looking at games back-to-back and we've, you can basically sit on the couch and get bed sores over the weekend just watching back-to-back games, which is what I chose to do, you really see Adelaide speed, you know, comparative to the rest of the competition. They just are so athletic and they're so fit and they know where each other are at all times. I guess the Ds probably look the same. I think Richmond to some extent look the same really fast as well. But I, I really thought that Adelaide, just look a class above at the moment they're going to be really hard to beat Lucy the other thing I noticed and I'll say thanks to Gemma Bastiani who was part of the broadcast on the weekend and it was wonderful to have her footy brain in my ears while I was watching and she was talking about the ability to use the angles and to not just go directly straight down the corridor I really noticed in in a number of those games that the teams that were able to use the wings and find some angles kind of did did a bit better. Have I picked up on something football-y there, Julia? I think you have, Lucy, but I think we are all being directed to think about the wings uh, at the moment. Two of the commentators I absolutely love listening to at the moment are uh, Kate McCarthy and Sarah Hosking, both with a bit of experience on the wing, and they talk a lot about Kate McCarthy especially, how the wings are being brought into the game and how they can be utilised, you know, their speed to change the angles, to clear out of the contest. I'm really loving them in the commentary. I think that they are such great additions to to the media landscape, but I love how they are bringing their own kind of little biases about their often forgotten position to the viewer so we can really notice what they're doing. Would you be so bold as to say Pythagoras? friend of the pod is <laughs> is really making making his mark on the on the game this season. I think he's hip and shouldered Aristotle out of the way. <laughs> We've got to get those t-shirts made. Aristotle, friend of the pod. <laughs> Pythagoras, friend of the pod. Are we ready to roll up our sleeves and melee? Yes, yes, please. Yes, yes please. please. It's unanimous. The Press Barkers Cup almost didn't happen, but of course it was a late breaking schedule change for which I really dip my teeny tiny hat to both Geelong and Carlton for reimagining what their week was going to look like and redefining who they were playing against and, and what they had to prepare for, which I guess is the, going to be the pivot of this season and was last season as well, I expect. I can't even remember last season, by the way. I have some kind of COVID amnesia. But what we got as a lovely byproduct of that was Maddie Pressbarkers and Georgie Pressbarkers playing on each other, which I guess we did expect, you know, given that they play in similar positions through the middle of the ground. But to see them line up on each other, just beautiful, genuine love. It's not the first time that we've seen siblings playing together or against each other on the same team. But this felt really momentous. And I guess I, my question to you is, it, is it because we expect so much from the Press Barkers family that, that there's been a real, I feel like we've been waiting for Georgie to come into this competition. I've seen it, you know, at AFLW games in the lead up to this season and I always kept a little eye on thinking, oh, you'll keep. <laughs> the minute you come into this competition, it's going to be game on. And we got to see it and it was pretty impressive. They play two pretty different games, but they both go equally as hard. Julia, why is the Press Barkers Cup so important? There's something about watching those two play that is pleasurable. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. Maddie has always really reminded me of Gary Ablett Jr. just in her balance. 
you know, she comes out of the contest and you never know, is she going to go left? Is she going to go right? Because she's going to look smooth as silk either way. She can run out of it and kick a goal. She can burst through. She's a hard nut. She's in and under. Sometimes sport is art <laughs> and mm. watching a Prosparcus move through the contest is like a beautiful ballet. And so I think it has always been tantalizing the idea that there would be two of them. They're not identical. You know, Georgie's a lot taller. So then we've kind of got a bigger body version, but I think everyone just wanted to watch it. We want to watch players at the top and players who turn the sport we love into this amazing dance. So I think that we were always going to love watching that. But it was just delightful. You know, they're clearly thrilled to be playing AFLW and they haven't come out of, you know, AFL men's private school footy factory style development pathway where they always knew they were going to get on an AFL list and, you know, that was their destiny. They've come from a very different background. So you have to think that a very proud day for their family to see their two daughters playing for two great big Victorian clubs and and having a great day out as a result. There's a press barkers for all seasons is what I'm hearing in your (laughs) analysis. What I love about it and this is something that we've talked about before, but is the power of cohort that they are probably better because each one made the other better. And mm. to be able to grow up in the, in an environment where you had someone to kick the footy with who had equal skills, a pathway to show them the way. I actually thought in the post-match interview with Bryony Dawson for Fox Footy, I loved seeing Maddie Presbarkus really take that moment. It was the first interview where I really felt like her leadership shone through in that moment. She stepped up as the big sister. And I also think that there's a thing that happens when you're working alongside your family, speaking from absolute experience, you can't be anything but your absolute authentic self because you've got someone, that, someone right there who's going to call you on it. And so I think that the more authentic you can be, the better your performance can be. So I really felt the power of seeing them together and I really felt that that was a moment that I saw Maddie come out of her shell. She really demonstrated when Georgie went down she was a big sister in that moment but she was also a leader in that moment I really it was such a beautiful moment we love those family stories in footy because I think footy and family I feel like family is always the cornerstone of what makes us love footy so much I can see you like nodding your head there Lucy I am I do love it I loved watching the contest I didn't necessarily love the cup Mm. But only because I feel for the other sisters that have played that didn't also get a cup. I think we now have to bring in a Hoskins cup and a Moody cup and a Kelly cup and apologies to any other sisters that I've left off my list there. But it's more about just bringing more people along with the cup. But I saw that you had something to say too, Julia. Yeah, I I found the cup. I know it's in a bit of fun, the the idea of the cup, but during the commentary there was there was so much commentary around the, the rivalry and who was going to have bragging rights and I really felt like that kind of a story. I know it's a footy story. I know we're used to like everything has to be a competition and, it's a, and it is about who wins, but there was something about kind of overlaying that onto the, the story of these two particular sisters just didn't really feel genuine to me and really felt like a story that we were trying to apply to them and that they didn't necessarily speak to themselves. And so that's, again, Emma, why that interview at the end for me was really lovely because I did feel like during the commentary all that stuff around bragging rights just didn't sit right for me and and Maddie then speaking at the end I was like yes this is what this is what this is about is this this is two people who 
Yes, I've made a great point. Thank you, Betty. This is what these two people have just relished in this moment, that they get to play at the top, they get to play together, they get to do it in front of their parents and family who never would have imagined that they get to do it. That's what it's about. It's not about bragging rights or the cup. I'm going to be devil's advocate for all of you because firstly with the actual physical cup, I loved it because <laughs> just because something hasn't happened before doesn't mean it's not good to start it now. What if there is a cup now for every siblings? That would be awesome. That's I think what it was I want. Probably, That's what I want to see. Yeah, I think it was probably organised by one of the clubs. And to me it was just so fun. I mean the world is so stressful. Having an actual cup, my family footy tipping competition at Christmas, there is an actual trophy of course it gets engraved and passed around to the footy tipping winner we're a very competitive funny family and so for me I watched that and I just laughed it made me so happy Maddie gets to keep the cup you know and that would be really funny I have a lot of competitive banter with my siblings any board game I mean you know cards have been ripped up in the heat of the passion at our household so I love seeing my own stories reflected in footy even if That's not necessarily true, Julia. I do take your point. It gave me something extra to cheer for. I understand the point about the commentary. From a broadcasting point of view, part of the job of a commentator is not just to appeal to people who are already going to watch AFLW, already know the Prosparkuses or already know that they love each other and it's great. It is to give an independent viewer who might have just clicked on a reason to keep watching, especially in a game that might not have been close, was closer than I expected it to be. To have this ongoing thread of which of the sisters is going to get the cup, to me, was like clever broadcasting because if I was an independent viewer and I've got, we talk talk a lot about clear air, there's not a lot of clear air. I can flick over and watch the cricket. I can flick over and watch whatever. It gave me a reason to keep watching and to find out which sister was going to win. And so I thought it was fun and I hope they do it for all siblings. I also hope they do it for the housemates, to be honest. You could could do a cup every week and I'd be in, to be honest. I'm a sucker. It's fine. If there's two people called Tess, the Tess off, I don't know. Do whatever. I don't care. I'm in for any story any week. I'm up for it. That's actually brilliant. All right. We'll have to investigate all the other cups. I want to bring out something that I have learned from AFLW that I find astounding. And that is that, and I don't know if this is a uniquely me thing or female thing, but I often, I'd punish myself if I get something wrong. I'm not a perfectionist by any stretch of the imagination, but I do punish myself if I've done something wrong, especially if I've not done something to aid and assist a team or especially the team that I work in or my family or or my kids. Like if I've stuffed up somehow I I really wear it and I wear it for days and I and I really struggle to let it go I've often thought that it was a uniquely female thing and I don't know if that's the case because when I watch AFLW and I see people run into an open goal and miss the goal if they have a big broad smile and then just run off and just keep going and keep playing it feels like it's teaching me a new muscle memory of being able to get over things and just move through it I think that as an adult that's what I'm learning so much from AFLW. And I was wondering, Julia, again, I'm hitting you up being the coach. How much do you have to train that into people to just forgive themselves and to move on in that moment? Do you find that at footy people punish themselves for things that they've done wrong? Yes. Some people, women especially, have that really in them that like I've done something wrong and that that wrong thing says so much about me. That says I'm a failure. That says I'll never get better. That says I'm a bad teammate. And the players who are resilient, who manage to improve year on year, game on game, improve mid-game, are the ones that are able to drill down on that moment and say that moment was just a moment. I stuffed up in that moment and it actually doesn't need to mean more than that. 
It can just be I was pushed off balance, I didn't see the right option, didn't flex my leg in the right way that moment because I wasn't focusing on it. Okay, I'll remember that and I'll try and do it next time. That's really the difference I think sometimes in terms of development and what stops some players from developing is that they make so much more of their mistakes in terms of what it emotionally might mean and what it means about them as a person as opposed to what it just meant in that moment as an athlete and how I go about fixing it. And you're right, it is a a lesson for everyone and probably a lesson during a pandemic. It's, It's almost a mindful practice, you know, what's happening in this exact moment once it's gone, it's gone. I don't need to make more of it than what it is. And I'll, I'll look at, say, a player at the top like Daisy or like Katie Brennan or something who, you know, might go for a tackle and miss it and they just get up and they go again. That's just it. You get up and you go again and you try and fix it next time. And that's all that getting better in footy is, is you get up and you go again and you try and learn a little bit from what just happened. But it doesn't need to mean that you're a, a failure. It, it just doesn't. And, and I think women definitely need to learn that because it's also part of being really self-conscious that we're all taught to be. And we need to kind of break that shackle of looking at ourselves in a way where we, we, we judge every time, tiny thing we do because it's no one else actually really notices it. It's interesting because I think in men's footy, there is a, a discussion around he dropped his head or how people have responded over time. I feel like there was maybe some conversation around Matthew Richardson that he used to drop his bottom lip a bit or mm. you know, players like that. I can't work out what the right amount of performative regret is in <laughs> footy. and but, in, I, but that's in men's footy. In women's footy, I never see it. Am mm. I remembering this badly Tess no I agree with you and I also think in men's footy a lot of it has to do with commentary as well a lot of the time to say a player runs into an open goal they miss completely there's actual really physical like a lot of laughter like genuine lols in the commentary box and a lot of mocking and oh no how embarrassing that so that I think plays into it because players would watch that commentary and hear that commentary whereas in AFLW they just kind of get on with it there's not a lot of carry on and there's certainly not mocking which I feel like a lot of the physical dropping the head or trying to physically show people that you know you did the wrong thing is a defense mechanism Mm. to the inevitable uh, trolls or something like that that you'll see online when you get home. I love your idea of you know lessons that you've learned from AFLW and I was thinking about that on the weekend just about that whole hang in there ethos (laughs) and the Gold Coast Suns I think really gave us that as a team to hang in there and get their first win after 672 days. But we mentioned Tara Bahana earlier in the episode and she is incredible as a mature age recruit who nominated for the draft six times and finally made her way onto a list, had her debut. I love having that example to to look to, to see somebody who has just continued to follow a goal and we know how difficult it is and I know that it's not always going to be possible for everyone, but that gives me strength. The other thing that I've noticed this week or this season, in fact, is that people are finding their voices as well, that there's been a lot more players speaking out about their exhaustion, the exhaustion factor, and I think coaches as well. I think it's going to make it much easier to advocate for what the comp looks like going forward because people are so exhausted they actually can't just be grateful anymore 
And it's because of the pressure that's coming from COVID, having to play a season over summer and people having to step out because of COVID and, and fill the, the hole for other people. I don't think people can keep a lid on their true emotions anymore. And I've yeah. been wowed by how honest so many players have been. There's always been a couple of players who've really flown the flag, but I think the competition committee is going to have a lot of information to sort through when they work out what's going to happen for the next genesis of AFLW, when we play it, what the fixture looks like, things like that. I think that we're going to have a lot more information to deal with because people are being so much more open and honest and authentic about their their real life experience. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Chelsea Randall and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. We are seeing COVID one day footy the next at the moment and it's a bit of a sliding doors moment which Daisy alerted us to at the start of the season. We also spoke to Nick. I spoke to Nicole Livingston in the first week of this podcast season. Do you remember she said, we think that we've got enough provisions in place that a whole team won't miss and we've already seen two whole teams <laughs> miss. Mm. And, you know, you start working backwards like with the red the red ribbon on the, on the wall like you're an FBI agent or a CIA agent or something like that and you start thinking, well, that team played that team. Does that mean that they're going to have some more cases this week? Who is going to miss? The language around it is obviously trying to cover people's medical uh, history, which is so interesting because now we see people who are out with a health and safety protocol. And I love that what we've got is no, she's out with protocol. <laughs> she's out with protocol this week. She's done a protocol. <laughs> It's a one-week protocol. <laughs> one-week protocol. And we don't know how people are going to recover from the protocol. And that's what we will, I guess, see this week and next week. My question is to all of you, would you rather your team were all out with protocol or you had to field a team that just had some of your best players out with the protocol, Lucy? Straight off, all out with the protocol. It's going to be very difficult if teams go week to week missing, say, four four key team members. I think that will be really difficult and it's easier if you just miss a week and then can get back on with it. Mm. But we're talking about people's health and people's lives and, you know, football really doesn't come even a close second to that. Emma, if you ask me this this week and I'm one of the top sides, I might not mind, to be honest, having a couple of players out and then having a couple of those new players get a couple of games into them because then later down the season, should you have out with protocol again, you have players who have already played at AFLW level, they've been in the team, they've played that role, they understand how it all works. It might work better for your team. So I I do think you'd rather have those top-up players getting games into them at this stage of the season. What about you, Julia? I take your point, Tess. I just feel like you can't really choose in the same way which players would come in, you know, before it would be we've got a gap on half back and we'll slot the next in line to do that but now it's it's a bit more chaos because you don't know who's coming out and you and it's kind of who's who's not protocoled that can then come in but in terms of sliding doors you know last week early on in the week we knew that obviously Isabel Huntington not playing anymore for 
Bulldogs, unfortunately, because of injury, but Ellie Blackburn was had been protocoled. You know, the game last week was supposed to be Bulldogs versus Geelong. And so at that point of the week, I'm thinking, Geelong's got a sniff here. But then Western Bulldogs pull out completely. They rejig the round. And then by the time we actually got to the the weekend, Nina Morrison had been protocoled, Julia Crockett-Grills, uh, Van der Heuvel. And so in a different sliding door scenario where, where Gwyneth has her short hair, I think Ge- Geelong beat Carlton. You know, they, they with those people they do, but um, now they don't. So but long-haired Gwyneth. Long-haired <laughs> Gwyneth. Freaking hell, went back to that guy with the... She couldn't stand the Spanish Inquisition. Just so full on. Anyway, so this, I feel like this is just going to be the most bizarre season. And I know, you know, two seasons ago we talked about the, the Asterix Premiership, but this one as well is going to be very strange um, in terms of results that could have been in terms of who was available. But getting back to the week-by-week proposition, uh, Ellie Blackburn and Bonnie Toogood put up a little um, version of their Western Bulldogs podcast and they both talk about the fact that they've both had COVID and they're both expecting to, to come back next week. And and I just feel as a member of the public to have complete whiplash in terms of our two-year-long conversation around isolating if you if you have any possible symptoms, getting a PCR test, not coming out for 14 days and on the 14th, 13th day you get a PCA and you've got to produce a negative result before you can even re-enter the world. All that stuff has been drilled into us for two years and now suddenly you can have COVID one week and play the next week and that just does not sit right with me even though I'm a huge AFLW fan and I want every game to get up. It's really challenging when the competition is relying on unstable information that I feel like we're getting. You know, at the moment, people who've had COVID or who've been out with protocols would be getting mixed messages, whether or not they're getting messages saying that they're now covered for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days or not getting a message at all in some cases. I'm hearing that people don't actually know whether they're whether they're COVID-free when they're out of their seventh day of ISO. I've even heard of people being encouraged not to retest because the test will show that they still have COVID in their system. So it is very challenging. There's a real likelihood that that the end of this season, it will be teams with names we don't know who they are playing against each other just because they've been able to ISO better and they might be playing on a Wednesday afternoon because it's the last time slot that they possibly can before a final. We might see back-to-back games. We might see midweek games. The disruption of this for this playing group is so immense. It boggles my mind what they're coping with. And so if we do take our foot off being too critical this season, I think we just need to take a moment and say it's wartime. We're playing through wartime. That's what it feels Mm -hmm. like. But the exhaustion of the players is really top of mind for me. And this long protocol, if people have it, how they feel coming back, it's going to be a week by week prognosis you would think absolutely Mm. you know you were talking earlier about the number of people who are speaking out about just these pressures and somebody that I heard this week was Karen Harrington speaking on SEN and and she basically said that in terms of players wondering whether they continue to play or whether they need to give up and you know go and work that it's reaching a tipping point I really wonder whether 
we know that COVID is just a big extra stress on top of stresses that would already have been there. But I, you know, think to the 10-year plan of the AFL to, you know, in 10 years' time to say that AFLW players will be the best paid domestic competition for women playing sport in Australia. And I just don't think that's soon enough. That's a whole other generation of footballers. That's not going to help the bulk of, of women who are, um, the bulk of athletes who are playing at the moment. Instead of calling it the Asterix Cup, maybe we just call it the Code Brown Cup. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Code Brown Grand Final. Or the Protocol Cup. <laughs> the Protocol Cup. Okay, there was a super fun thing that Julia alerted us to during the weekend of footy. We have seen teams made up of, well, the All-Australian team is, you know, the people who've played best in, in the year and uh, we've seen some joke teams put together of teams made of all people called Jack or teams of people put together that all of the red-headed players in the AFL. Uh, Julia came up with her own concept this week and I, for one, was really there for it. I think we're going to have to make room for a new team in the AFLW. Yes, I have a premiership, potentially premiership winning team, and it is called the Former Blues. We oh, are the Former Blues. We used to play for the Navy Blues. Look, it's no surprise to listeners to the pod. I'm a Carlton supporter. I did work at the club for a year. I love that team. But Jeepers Creepers, they have had a lot of players through that team, a lot of players through that club. And when you listen to the commentary, all you can hear is, now, coming up the wing is former blue Bianca Jacobson kicking it down the wing to former blue Tilly Lucas Rod, and it says former blue, former blue, former blue. So I did put together a team of former blues. It's pretty stacked. When I was watching the Collingwood game and Al Downey is just completely like just such a clinical ruck, I thought, why is she playing for Collingwood again? Um, <laughs> why is she not at Carlton? So this team, I'll, I'll, I'll polish it up. I'll, I might put it on the socials. I think this team could literally win a premiership. You've got Taylor Harris at centre-half forward, Beck Privitelli, Clunkin Marks. You've got Al Downey in the ruck, Matty Gay. Jeepers. This is a strong team. So having looked at this team, it does break my heart a bit as a Carlton supporter because we know that teams with less turnover who can really, you know, settle into a club culture, a a team system, a game plan, all that stuff, those are the ones that do well. We look at how Brisbane have managed such minimal turnover in terms of who they get on the park each week. They win a premiership similar in Adelaide. That's how you win premierships. And as a diehard Carlton supporter who wants my team to hold up the Code Brown Protocol Cup, (laughs) something has to change. And I worry going into expansion that you little hawky code brown yellow people are going to pinch our best players and we'll be in it again. We'll have two press boxes, thanks. Hey, <laughs> JC, who do you put as the captain? Do you put the W Award winner, former Blue Brie Davey, or is it former captain Lauren Arnell and AFLW Premiership winner? Well, to be honest, Lauren Arnell is not in this team because she's not an active, current oh, active She's not even AFLW in the team. Jam. So oh. if I had the retired one, my bench would be like 12 people deep. So no offence, Lots, you're not in because you're retired. If we can't play a state of origin clash because of people not being able to travel because of borders, just blues be former blues. (laughs) Probably flies for the men's as well. Yes, that's where I got the idea, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) This week coming up is Pride Round, which I think is my favourite round apart from the grand final. 
potentially. I do love Pride Round. I think that the AFLW competition does it so beautifully. One massive shout out that I do want to give is to Chicks Talking Footy who have been covering the Pride Round and the Pride game ever since the AFLW began. And they started their podcast same time as we did. And we have loved Chicks. I think they will be covering this round, but they have taken a step back from their weekly podcast. And I just wanted to recognize that along with She Scores, who have also really covered AFLW in their own beautiful way, the exhaustion that we talk about that is feeding through clubs and organizations to do with sport is also really being felt by people who have started their own platforms to talk about these sports and to cover these sports. So I just want to do a massive shout out to to those guys because they've just done such a great job of flying the rainbow flag. Lucy? I've just loved watching all of the clubs, you know, share their jumper designs and just the the input from the players, I think is the thing that I love the most. And I really love the inclusion of the trans flag on most of the jumpers as well, because there's a broader understanding of pride and just how wide we need to cast our arms when we're bringing everybody into the fold. On the jumpers, uh, last year Richmond didn't have a pride jumper and that was quite disappointing and I know a lot of fans uh, made their voices heard about that and this year we do have a jumper which is absolutely stunning. I noticed in WA overnight Eliza Riley wrote an article about West Coast not having a pride jumper this weekend I think they'll be the only team without one so as a fan of Richmond that this is what worked last year is letting the club know that that was something that we wanted perhaps for Eagles fans that might be something that you want to do talk to the club explain why this is important to you and why you'd like to see one that always helps make your voices heard you know again I just reiterate what you've said it's great to see so many more jumpers uh this year I know that you know fans of teams that have never had one are so stoked to be able to go out and you know spend their money on on a pride jumper in in their club colors which is which is fantastic I just also like to acknowledge that each year I think pride round has has grown into to really open the conversation onto into new things and that you know it did start just because so many players were openly queer and you couldn't really hide it it, it wasn't a possibility to hide it and we've seen more in, inclusion of people who are gender diverse or trans you know the, the bulldogs um jumper last year was so beautiful in that it had you know the flags of all different sorts of um identities and and this year we do have you know the first two players who identify as non-binary in and that's really exciting as well and i think that aflw is just always leading in this space and making sure that people feel very welcome and it was great to see geelong do a bit of a presser yesterday with joel selwood and Mick mcdonald their two club captains talking about how they want the game to be welcoming to everyone and joel selwood made you know some comments about feeling like an openly gay male player would be really welcome and that he would feel proud of that. And I think that we do need more statements from from men in the game to talk about how they are ready. They're ready to accept uh, and welcome and, and want to be playing with someone who's, who's queer or gay or gender diverse. In this space, you need to go out of your way to show that you are welcoming and ready and happy and interested and it's not just about hiding your homophobia. It's putting the freaking flag up and putting the, <laughs> the sparklers out actual there, pride. the actual pride and saying we're ready, mm. come. And I think that, 
you know, clubs are starting to get that message. All right, it's time for other beeswax. Does anyone have any other business? I have a little something up my sleeve that I can't wait to delight you with. But Teddy, let's go with you first. Uh, shout out. I mentioned the, the Mighty Dockers earlier having a great run and playing so well for them as Anne McMahon. I highly recommend on the Freo podcast called Kicking Back. It's hosted by Hayley Miller and Emma O'Driscoll. And they had an interview with Anne last week and they shared it on their socials and it's on the website. Full warning, I had watched two of the new episodes of the Queer Eye season and then watched this. And so it was like waterworks at my house. I was in a right state because <laughs> Anne speaking about her journey back to footy was so remarkable. So I implore you to listen to the whole thing. You'll get the full story. But she was a serving police officer. She was hit by a drunk driver while she was on duty on Christmas Eve uh, 2019. And she said realistically uh, she should be dead or in a wheelchair and somehow she is running around each week and we are so lucky go and have a look at that and then every week just go how lucky are we to see her playing footy so once you've watched it go watch the footage of her goal that she kicked on the weekend and um, you'll have extra tears as you see all her teammates get around her also it was a pythagoras special (laughs) it was full Full. hypotenuse Not isosceles. I failed maths. <laughs> isosceles was my favourite cat. In <laughs> Mr. Isosceles. Oh, have I never said <laughs> I lost it again. Okay, Lucy. Did Lucy, did you have some final beeswax? I do have some, and it's a shout out to the Western Bulldogs. So their community foundation has been working in partnership with the Victorian Health Department to help distribute rapid antigen tests to um, certain groups in the community. And that's awesome. I love seeing football clubs just really lend a hand when they're needed. We saw it with GWS, who continue to really help out in their community. And well done, Bulldogs. Yeah, that's excellent. Okay, I'm going to throw you a curly one. (laughs) Just to preface this, I don't know the difference between lions and tigers. So the fact that I don't understand what this sentence means (laughs) is not shocking to me because I'm not very smart. But I'm just going to read you a quote from an article. Gillan McLaughlin, AFL chief executive, added, cryptocurrency and blockchain technology is a dynamic and emerging industry and the AFL is delighted to partner with Crypto.com to be at the forefront of the industry's growth in Australia. Just quickly, what is cryptocurrency? (laughs) In my mind, I have an assumption that a Venn diagram of people who don't understand cryptocurrency are also the same people who use iPads as cameras at weddings. But that means that I would be involved in... I would be getting out the iPad. I don't understand what cryptocurrency is and the AFL are doing some co-pro <laughs> with it. What is it? It's the AFL X of money. <laughs> it's the AFL X of money. You know when sometimes you see like an old article from like 1996 pop up that's like, this internet fad will be gone by the end of this year. <laughs> I think that that's where I sit with cryptocurrency. Like I refuse to engage with it because I'm like, it's going to blow over. It's going to blow over. (laughs) 
it'll be done. But pretty much in 20 years, we're all going to have a chip in our head and we only pay for things in crypto. Is that how it's going to work? I was just shocked to see that the AFL announced this as saying they will be their official cryptocurrency <laughs> and crypto exchange partner. I didn't know that that was something that we needed to have. Like we're all debating it. <laughs> how many cryptos does it take to get a pie and a Coke? How many non-fungible tokens are there in one cryptocurrency? We will answer this question next week. Just quietly, none of us will be on the pod. Do you need anti? Do you need, do you need anti-fungal cream to treat something that's non-fungible? Is it part of athlete's foot? I refuse to engage with things that I don't understand, which is like anything that is, when people talk about finances at all. And so it kind of bores me so that I never really engage with it. However, money itself is a made-up concept. So at some point. Someone is going to have to explain it to me like I'm five. Maybe then that's when I'll make my money. You just need to sell your first non-NFT. Won't that be a heel turn? <laughs> when you say NFT, all I see is when you used to look up cinema times, it would say <laughs> no NFT, free no free tickets. <laughs> so for a long time I thought NFTs were something to do with going to the movies. You could sell a poster of an NFT as an NFT. As cryptocurrency? I don't know. What? No. You could buy it with cryptocurrency. This is so brown. Tail. We're going to have to have a tutorial later. All right. Well, I don't understand that and I'm just putting that out there that if there's any sanctimers that understand how many cryptocurrencies it takes to get a ticket for the football, just let us know. And should the Outer Sanctum have their own NFT? <laughs> <laughs> and what would it be? It would be our cartoon. I think we've worked out who's going to be running the NFT, be the NFT banker. I think Lucy knows what, what yeah, it I think is. she knows what and it is. And she's like, got some. I told you, Dr. Google. <laughs> all right. Well, I think it's time for us to get out of here. Um, we don't want to spend all our cryptos in one in one Sanctum episode, do we? <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure and a delight to hear from you all, including Patrick, our second smallest Sanctum member. And uh, I think there's only one thing left for us to say, and that is... Go, go footy! footy.